Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. to a very special Power Hour episode of the Until Saturday feed. We are reacting live to the CFP rankings. It is Chris Vanini. I'm Nicole Auerbach. And this was the abbreviated show. So we didn't get to ponder as much. We didn't get to hear as much from committee chair Boo Corgan. But we did see something pretty notable, Chris. Georgia up at number one. The Bulldogs are the number one ranked team for the first time this season. They overtake Ohio State, who just falls to number two. Michigan, number three. Florida State, four. Washington, five. Oregon, six. So basically just the swap at number one and two. The rest day the same at the top. There was some shakeup in the middle. But basically, as soon as we saw that uh, Ole Miss was still Ranked in the top 15, which they come in at number 13. And then uh, we see Mizzou break into the top 10 at number nine. It pretty much was pretty clear that Georgia was going to be the number one team in the country. What is your initial reaction to that, Chris? Reaction is that it's exactly what I think we probably all expected. Nothing changed except for Georgia going to one because they've beaten two top 15 teams in the last two weeks. So that all makes sense. We're still sitting here with five 10 and 0 power five teams and until one of them loses and at least one of them will lose uh not much reaction at the top i mean my only question would be washington florida state but again it's not that big of a deal at this point really so uh, i'm more kind of curious about some of the lower rankings but you know it's been a very chill relaxed cfp rankings there's been barely anything to talk about at the top because it's been the same because the same teams keep winning Right. It has been pretty chalky, especially like the top eight teams haven't changed really. And you mentioned five unbeaten power five teams, two of them still to play, of course, Michigan and Ohio State. But these are the teams that we thought would be among the best as soon as these rankings started a couple weeks ago, and they have all stayed up there. And I could have made the case for Georgia a week ago after they got their first big win of the season. But now that they've got two, they've got their this set of two wins is better now than Ohio State's best two wins. So this makes all the sense in the world. I do think that Washington continues to have a gripe here by being ranked behind Florida State. They have a win over number six, Oregon. Oregon's still the top one-loss team in these rankings, have been since the very beginning, and they have been playing better teams week over week than Florida State has. Here is what committee chair Boo Corrigan had to say when he was asked by Reese Davis about that order, FSU staying ahead of Washington 4-5. and five. What is the debate in the room like in relative strength of the ACC schedule that Florida State has faced as opposed to what Washington has faced and is facing in the Pac-12? Yeah, Florida State, really good offensively, has been really good defensively. You know, don't, don't undersell the, the Miami-Florida State rivalry as well, and that's been going on for years. Miami hit a big play um, 
for that touchdown in the second half, but we felt Florida State was the dominant team in there, and Washington continues to win. Uh, really good defensive uh, second half against Utah, but as we looked at it and evaluated it, and, you know, as y'all can appreciate, the debate is getting stronger every week as we get more and more data points going through this, but we ended up with Florida State at floor in uh, Washington and five. Okay, so it's one of those scenarios where we feel like the selection committee justifies something. So yeah, the Miami game, a rivalry game, that means something. That's great. That's totally fine. But Washington's resume is stronger and they have been playing better teams. I understand. Listen, I have dropped Washington in my individual rankings. Yes, you Got did. Got questions about the defense. I don't I think didn't. that that... Okay, I'm just saying, I don't know that the defense is going to get them to a CFP, but they are unbeaten. And if we are comparing comparable teams, resume should matter in this. So, Chris, do you have qualms about this, about the order keeping FSU still ahead of Oregon? I mean, ahead of Washington? Yes. And and Ari's in the chat saying Boo has good vibes. I got to say, does he have the (laughs) easiest job of any selection committee chair speaker that we've seen? He's had no drama. He's well, had to like, talk well, about next Well, 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 hold on. Is he going to have the most challenging job, though? Like, I don't think he will. We, we're setting up. This has been the most teams that have been unbeaten this far in the season. There are good one-loss teams. Some of them are playing really, really well. You don't think that this could potentially be a difficult selection Sunday? It could. It's just usually not. Um, but... Yes, like this is honestly the weirdest thing he said in several weeks of doing this, which is don't underestimate the Miami Florida rivalry. You mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that the was Miami, his first, first the Miami, the Miami team playing with its backup quarterback that you let have an 85 yard touchdown pass. Like, I, I don't know. Like, ultimately, Florida State's wins are not as good as we thought they were at the time. LSU has turned out to be okay, like pretty good, but not CFP good like we thought. Clemson's six and four, Boston College, who they almost lost to six and four. Uh, Duke isn't doing very much. So you compare that to Washington, which has beaten Oregon, which has beaten Arizona, which has beaten Utah, USC. It's like the resumes are not even close between Washington and Oregon. And if Oregon is up so high because as the top one loss team, for whatever reason, then Washington should then get a lot more credit for what it has done, including beating Oregon. To me, it's it's not even close. Like, yes. No. Y- uh, yes, Washington struggled against Arizona State and Stanford and kind of didn't play great in a couple of things, but they still won those games. Florida State almost lost to Boston College. Like, again, it's very weird. Ultimately, I don't think it's going to matter, but it is something to talk about. It is something where I say, I don't think that one really makes much sense, but I guess it's because of the the history of the Miami-Florida State rivalry, apparently. It doesn't make sense because the committee adjusted this week by putting Georgia ahead of Ohio State. So it finally said, like, okay, we've been doing this for a couple weeks. Here is a change in the data. Like, here is a different resume. And they have not done that at all with Washington, who has improved their resume over the last couple of weeks, but again, already has the best win in the country according to the committee's own rankings because Oregon is still there at number six. Um, it's really interesting. And I want to put, if we can pull a comment that was from a little bit earlier from Erin, she says, as a Buckeye, I'm thrilled with this change. So I feel like that's, that is a positive again, like Ohio state and Michigan. What? Why is Erin thrilled with this change? 
I think it takes a little bit of pressure off Ohio State. Bullseye I, off your back. Whether you're, you're you're only playing Minnesota and Michigan. That's it. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, no like, we've I, been I would, having... I would much rather be number one. I would Chris, much rather be number one. we have been having this conversation for, like, two weeks now of, you know, Ohio State deserved to be number one, but are they really the best team in the country? Like, I think that this you, it pulls you away a little bit better. Oh, see, Erin is saying she... Look, Georgia is better. She is maybe just acknowledging the truth that Georgia is healthy and playing its best football of the season. Ari pointing out that it was rat poison. That's also a fair point. Also, I don't know. It it didn't bother him against Michigan State. That's for sure. No, but this was this was such an interesting rankings because Georgia finally has the resume. The two two really good wins, two top 15 wins. Michigan gets its first big win of the season. uh, Then at the time, top 10 win, but top 12 win. And then Ohio State, really complete win over Michigan State. And I know Michigan State's not good, but that offense is getting healthy. That offense is adding a lot of different dimensions, and the defense has been great. So I think that that has all been a, like, we are seeing the best team starting to play well at the end of the year. And I think that that has really added something, even though teams haven't lost. We haven't seen a ton of shakeups in the actual rankings. Chris, you said you had some qualms Towards the bottom of the rankings. So the floor is yours. What 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 jumped out to you? Why is Iowa number 16? Where did that come from? Like what? I, I don't, They've beaten I don't know. nobody. They got destroyed by Penn State in the only notable game that they played. I know they're eight and two. I guess their win over Iowa State, I guess, is the most worthy thing. But like you lost to Minnesota. Makes no sense. It feels like one of those situations where you want to have the Big Ten West champion, who's probably going to be Iowa be in the top 25. So it looks a little bit more interesting. And so it's a little bit more better win. Iowa at 16 blew my mind. I I can't believe it. That one jumped out. Maybe the committee is giving Iowa some credit for making an offensive coordinator change. It's just a pat on the back. Look look who I was ahead of. They're ahead of Arizona, Kansas State, Oklahoma. Like what? By the way, shout out to Arizona, number 17, Incredible story. They were my number 10 team over the weekend in my rankings. Incredible turnaround that Jed Fish has going there. Ari's alma mater. So I give a special shout out to them. But like that is really awesome that they get all the way up there. And it changes the way that we talk about some of the results earlier in the season. And Reese made this point, too, because we already know that the Pac-12 teams, there's a lot of depth in this league that they, again, should be getting a little bit more credit for Washington in particular, for some of the teams that they've played. But this helps everybody because now a win over Arizona is a top 20 win. So all of these, the back-end machinations all matter, and that's why we pay attention to them, as well as, you know, the group of five playoff race and things like that nature. But Iowa being where they are does set it up to be a quality win for whoever comes out of the Big Ten East and plays in the Big Ten title game against Iowa if they win. Yeah, the, the the other part I'm interested in, Missouri at number nine, mm. all the way into the top 10, and Penn State at tw- only falling to 12, both have a very good path to New Year's to Six s- Bowl games now. They do, and, and to stay basically where they are Yeah, because neither of them play anybody notable the rest of the year. Missouri has Florida and Arkansas. Penn State has somebody in Michigan State, so as long as they take care of business, that's probably New Year's Six Bowl games for both of them. Penn State. Probably not exactly what you want, but for Missouri, 
be a hell of a season. Huge, 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 huge for Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, Vaughn makes a very good point. There is some consistency in the committee's ranking because Ohio State got credit for beating Rutgers last week. So therefore, the committee respects the style of play of Shiano Ball. Defense, control the clock, not the most exciting offense in the world. Iowa plays that even better. They just beat Rutgers, transitive property. Hey, 400 yards of total offense, Chris. Maybe that just stunned the selection committee. I, if look, if look, if Michigan, look, if if Rutgers being your best win got Michigan to number three, I guess that can get Iowa to 16. Well, but I'm saying it kept Ohio State at one last week, too. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Ultimately, again, none of we, this really we, how, matters. How do we all we, we always end up talking about Rutgers and Iowa on this podcast? I don't know how this happens every week. It's wild. <laughs> That's because I'm on the show. I'm just saying. But it was again number one. Georgia made a lot of sense. No issues there. The only issue I think anyone should really have is is Washington still being behind Florida State and possibly the order of the one-loss teams. Alabama is playing incredibly well. This is a a team that has figured some stuff out, figured out how to play into Jalen Milrow's strengths as the season's gone on, but they are stuck behind Texas, head-to-head result, both one-loss teams. But I don't know. Like The more interesting question is Alabama, Oregon, which team you think is better? How do you have them ranked right now, Chris? I know you adhere to head-to-head in your rankings, right? I still have it, Oregon, Texas, Alabama. Okay. And we we talked last week, hey, maybe Oregon should be behind Texas and Alabama. They hadn't done anything other than beating Utah and playing Washington close. Well, now they went out and beat USC. That's another good win. Whatever you think of USC, it's still a good win. So you, you throw another good one on your belt with the way they beat Utah compared to how Washington played against Utah. And I'm fine with Oregon being number six now. Texas. Okay. Barely escaped Kansas State, barely escaped TCU, but they beat Alabama. And, and for the time being, you, I, to me, you have to keep Texas ahead of Alabama at this point. If Alabama goes on and beats Georgia, you know, then maybe we're having another conversation. But right now, I think it makes sense. I think there was more of a debate last week, honestly, than there is this week in terms of those one-loss teams. Agree. And we also hadn't had Quinn Ewers back yet for Texas. Okay. We on uh, The Athletic on Tuesday night, Stuart Mandel does a, hey, this is what the 12-team playoff would look like if it was in effect this season. So we stole his graphic and we can show you that right now. It underscores the depth in the Pac-12 for sure. How much would we love that? An Oregon State in at number 11, number 11 seed playing Oregon in a first round game. Also, you've got Michigan Tulane as a 5-12 game. Alabama Ole Miss rematch 8-9 game. Louisville now in the top 10, They, which is a big boost for Florida State heading towards an ACC title game. But this is what it would look like. The four buys would be Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State, and Washington. Uh, that looks pretty good, Chris. I would take that. I'm excited for the 12 team. You know who else is? Ari Wasserman, who's in the comments telling us, imagine if this were next year, there'd be nothing to talk about tonight. Get over you know, it, Ari. Now, now that, it, I don't think it would play out that exact way. I don't think you'd have Oregon, Oregon State playing each other, Alabama, Ole Miss. I suspect they're going to try to get rid of rematches in the first round. But still, I don't know how you cannot look at that and think that's incredibly fun and exciting and how everybody still has something to play for. Oregon State trying to get to a Pac-12 championship that could give them a bind of the second round. You're still playing for things, even if you're in a 12-team playoff at this time of year. Louisville would have maybe a lot more to play for than it does right now. 12-team field is going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. 
I actually asked Bill Hancock uh, last week at the CFP meeting. I said, do you guys uh, do you guys look at the way the season is playing out and imagine if we had a 12 team playoff this year and how fun it would be with the way the season has played out? And he goes, he goes, you know, we don't talk about it formally, but, you know, you, you can't help but think about it. And it's exciting. And, and that's exactly why they're doing it. There, um, and by the way, uh, that has been adjusted. Good catch by Tim Gordon uh, in the comment section. Missouri is there at number nine, not Ole Miss. So that oh yes, that part go. was not corrected from last week when those two teams were in a different order. So that would be Alabama-Missouri as an 8-9 first-round game, which I would sign me up, please. I will go there. That sounds amazing. In to, to, com- to comment on Chris Callahan saying the SEC title game would be meaningless, no, it would not, because the winner of the SEC title game would get a buy into the second round. That's the whole point of the 12-team playoff. That's why I think 12 is a good number, and it should not go any higher than that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So speaking of Oregon State, who is at the number 11 in this week's ranking and has a big matchup this weekend, Chris, before we go, uh, I spent almost three hours watching a court hearing for a preliminary injunction for the two pack, pack two, Oregon State, Washington State, they are fighting for control of the Pac 12. Want to make sure that we discuss this. This was big news in the college football world. Uh, is the first part of college sports in court week because we've got the Michigan hearing on Friday as Jim Harbaugh tries to get reinstated as the head coach against the Big Ten's suspension. Um, so basically, Chris, I want us to try to talk about this in like human terms in, in plain English, um, Washington state and Oregon state were trying to get control of governance. They wanted to be the two members to control the board of directors for the PAC 12 so that they would have access to, um, decision-making power, but also the assets and the liabilities so that they could determine if they're going to backfill and try to reform the PAC 12 conference uh, the Pac-12 is was defending itself, and then Washington joined this case to represent the 10 outgoing schools, and that's where we were. These Both sides made their arguments. The 10 outgoing schools basically have been arguing that it's cool that these two schools want to control their own future, but you need to make sure that we all get what is de- what is owed to us for this academic year. It's part of people's budgets. It's how they're supporting all of the teams and their championships and their travel and everything for this season. The judge ruled on behalf, sided with Oregon State and Washington State against the Pac-12 and against the outgoing members. 
they said that those two presidents are now the board. They have voting power for the Pac-12 board of directors. Everyone else will have to be notified. They can submit suggestions and communicate with board meetings, but they are not able to vote. Uh, Lawyer representing the 10 outgoing schools already said plans to appeal, disappointed with this outcome. And in the meantime, as all of that is being worked out during the appeal process, uh, we will be operating under the temporary restraining order that has been in effect for a little over a month. But this was a big win for Oregon State and Washington State, even with, obviously, an appeal process to come. It's a big win for now. We'll see. I I, I think I think some people see the ruling and think, oh, this means Washington State and Oregon State get to control the like four hundred million dollars. Uh, you know, including the money that would go to the comp to the other teams this year. I don't think it's probably going to play out that way because, like you said, like they're not allowed to harm those 10 schools still. So this will continue to go on. Um, before we started recording this, I wrote a couple of lyrics because it is college football courthouse week uh, to injunction junction to kind of explain what it means. So stay tuned for that. Uh, uh, probably on the feed tomorrow. I'm going to leave it for the audio only version. But uh yeah, it's it's a big deal for now, but it's going to be appealed. It's stopped for now. Uh, when you're not in Washington State's backyard, perhaps the court rules a bit differently. So it was uh, it was notable, and every you know the pack two, two pack, whatever you want to call them. Obviously, public opinion sides with them. Yes, uh, everybody wants to give them whatever they can because of the way they've been kind of screwed over and left out in this situation, and that is a perfectly understandable feeling. And the judge kind of seemed to feel that way too. Yeah. And and again, like it still is significant. The judge was saying that he thinks that people would side with their interpretation of the bylaws and what constitute um, notice of, of leaving a conference. And again, I, I think a lot of people focus on the different money, but it is going to be interesting to see, again, what unfolds, because I think both sides have assumed the worst in each other. But the judge did say, basically, you need to treat the outgoing members fairly and openly. You need to communicate with them and you can't harm them. And if you do, I'll find out. Right. And so, again, like no one's going to be able to take the money and run or not share revenue. um, But there's definitely some questions that still need to be answered, but still big win for Oregon State and Washington State in this proceedings, in this process that has been unfolding. Um, And then again, just part one of the court, the college sports in court week this week. So much more to come. And we will get into that a little bit later in this episode of Power Hour. All right. So let's move on to our uh, mailbag segment. This is our open bar. We love to read questions from you guys. As a reminder, you can submit them on the athletic website. There will always be a prompt on Mondays or Tuesdays to submit a question for Power Hour. That's what you're looking for. That's what we are going to sift through each week. And we will take those questions. We got a bunch about the CFP, so we'll group them together. But Chris, I want to start with one as we are really in the coaching carousel season. And it's not just about head coaches. I thought this was a really interesting question that we got from Nick B. When head coaches are looking at replacing coordinators, how important is recruiting ability compared to game day coaching ability? Are they equal or is one more favorable than the other? When it comes to coordinators, it's about coaching ability and, and, and what you run relative to what the head coach wants to do. Um, the thing about the current landscape of college football is like 
that value of the coach who's like the ace recruiter, who's like a position coach, maybe not a great position coach, but he's a really good recruiter. That's kind of going away now because of NIL and the role that plays in recruiting, which is a very big role. So when it comes to coordinators, you you just you find does this person run an offense that we want to run that complements what we do on defense? Do they score a lot of points? Do they run the ball? Do they do whatever I want us to do as a head coach? And you try to find the best guy available who does that. So but between the two, I would say game day coaching ability is higher up than recruiting when it comes to coordinators. Yeah, and I'll also say, too, especially at the coordinator level, um, I think, as you mentioned, you know, sometimes if you do look at an ace recruiter, it's a position coach more so than a coordinator. Coach. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a certain position. Um, but there are some fascinating coordinator positions that are going to be open. Obviously, a lot of attention on Iowa's offensive coordinator, USC's defensive coordinator. So those are going to be, honestly, as interesting as some of the head coaching hires with this carousel. Now, there were a bunch of CFP questions, and um, they were they were kind of about, like, next steps. So there were questions about the playoff contract for the new playoff, because as we know, there needs to be a media rights deal for those, those first-round games coming for the 2024 and 2025 season. But then also, essentially, we start from scratch again for the 2026 season and beyond. Chris, you covered the CFP meeting last week from the commissioners in Dallas, and then the commissioners also uh, in the president's announced a new executive director. So let me read the question, and then we can hit on kind of all of the different wrinkles related to the CFP. So this is a question from Chris P. When will the 2026 playoff contract be done, and what is y'all's prediction for what it looks like for 2026 and beyond? I love the 12-team format, but can't help and think they're going to uh, find a way to get even more money and get one to four home games and keep the Bulls happy, expand to 16, which I would hate personally. Would love to hear y'all's thoughts. So, Chris, let's start with what you learned at the commissioner's meeting and the days that followed last week. Yeah, we didn't learn much at the meeting because they wouldn't say anything after the meeting as it I ended yet. Don't even, don't even know. <laughs> I, why instead, do instead, you just got to talk to people the next day to figure out what happened at the meeting, even though I'm standing right there. But, but look, they came out of that meeting on Thursday um, pretty kind of tense. And you could tell that they'd had some difficult conversations in there more than it had been in the past. Normally, they come out of these meetings smiling and joking with the reporters as they walk by. It wasn't really like that this time. Uh, you had to kind of uh, pin some people down to, to get them to talk about a couple of things that they didn't really want to talk about. And we find out, uh, I find out, other people find out the next day, uh, that the commissioners are recommending a move to five plus seven for next year. Uh, previously, you know, Mike Oresco with the American had said he'd be open to five plus seven instead of six plus six, but only for 2026 and beyond. Ultimately, uh, they felt, you know, we need to do five plus seven now. The Pac-12 is not coming back. It's not going to be a power conference. And to uh, kind of address that, they said, um, you have to have eight teams to, to a conference to get an auto bid. That would be five automatic bids to a conference with seven at-large bids. It used to be six plus six. It was going to be the five power five, essentially, with the top group of five. But when the Pac-12 collapsed, you're thinking, all right, are we doing power fours and then two group of fives? The power conferences didn't want that. Greg Sankey didn't want that. Uh, the group of five had a little bit of leverage, but ultimately we're going to five plus seven next year, but only for the next two years. Because like you said, 2026 and beyond – is not set in stone yet. Right. And I think we all kind of assumed that five plus seven was 
a reasonable direction to go to. Uh, folks in the group of five conferences were worried about some of the threats about like, let's go to an all at large format or, you know, other dramatic conclude. Yes. Other dramatic threats and conclusions, but five plus seven makes sense because if you're losing one power conference, you kind of just adjust all the numbers a little bit that way. Big 10 sec, Big 12 at ACC, these conferences are all ballooning. They're getting bigger. So an extra at-large spot helps because it gives more teams success, more teams access to the playoff. In terms of the size of the bracket, I still expect it to be 12. I think in a lot of ways, you're probably going to look at these first two seasons as a trial run, right? Like, okay, how do these on-campus games work? You know, is there more clamoring? I mean, I hope that more people clamor for more on-campus games for for that quarterfinal round instead of asking fans to travel for three straight rounds to neutral site games. But I do think that you could tweak some of that stuff. But I think the 12, the reasons they got to that as a compromise make a lot of sense. And I think that having a buy helps when you don't want to add too many extra games for the wear and tear of these players and things like that. So I would still expect it to stay at 12 in this five plus seven range with the format but I do think that there are certain elements about like where the games are played and maybe even like how big the selection committee is or what the protocols are for the selection committee. I could see that type of thing adjusting after the trial run of the first two years. The question I have is, what is the state of the group of five and the top of the group of five in the early brackets? Because right now we only have one team in the top 25 from the group of five. And they just barely got by Rice, East Carolina, North Texas, and Tulsa. You know, what happens if we don't have any top 25 group of five teams? Uh, you're, you could see the power conferences saying, hey, like, why are one of these teams taking away a spot from my 9-3 and three SCC team or something like that? Not to say that's fair or not, but I do wonder if we get to a point this year, next year, where there isn't a top 25 group of five team, which is possible the mood toward that kind of shifts. I'm not going to rule it out, uh, but I do think right now the plan is 12 and to keep to keep doing 12 because like you said, they don't want to add another game to the schedules for everybody. The buy is very important. That's the whole reason we have the clock changes this year, the first down clocks, to take away some of all the hits that players are taking. If you're going to guarantee an extra game for everybody, that's going to be a tough sell. Right. Part of the reason that the buy works is a lot of those teams would be the team's I'm sorry, all of those teams would be playing in a conference championship game. So this would essentially offset that additional game for them as you're doing the math. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chris, we got a couple other questions just looking at the future. Want to get your thoughts on the new executive director, Lieutenant General Richard Clark. He is the Air Force Academy superintendent, was set to retire, was actually probably going to be on the selection committee next year. He was. And now he is replacing Bill Hancock. He'll be the next executive director. This has been a position, it's very inside baseball, but that's what Power Hour is, so we're going to go there. Uh, it's a position that a lot of people are wondering what direction 
the commissioners and the presidents would go in because there's so much talk about leadership, lack of leadership, lack of centralized leadership in college sports. Can football govern itself? Can football lead itself? Would the CFP ever be that entity to do it? I don't feel like this hire suggests like anything drastic or crazy and super creatives, anything outside of the box. Could have also hired someone with like events experience um, and really lean into that and try to maximize the revenue from this event. Feels like a very um, same old, like a continuation of the previous regime a little bit. Someone who has worked in college sports, but also not in college sports directly, more on the university side. And I don't know what that means about the direction of where this goes or leadership outside of they really emphasize leadership because. Yes, I was going to say this. <laughs> of on, the on military. The, on, the, on, the Monday, <laughs> on the Monday teleconference when we asked him, Bill Hancock and Mississippi State President Mark Keenum about why they made this choice. They just kept saying leadership over and over and over and over again. Leadership for what? I, I don't know. You know, Clark. He's an incredibly accomplished military veteran who has done remarkable things there. But And he played, by the way, in the 1985 Air Force team, I think, that finished in like the top 10 or the top five. So like, he's a former football player. Like There is a connection there. And he was going to be on the selection committee next year. So there is a general understanding, no pun intended. Uh, but you're right. This, is a, this was a hire coming in. A lot of people wondered, are they going to hire somebody who will expand that role if the playoff takes a larger role in running college football? Because there's a lot of people in college sports that want the CFP to run FBS college football, either take it away from the NCAA or just something, have that be the leadership. And Bill Hancock did not want to do that as executive director. And by making this hire, I have to kind of assume that they don't want that to happen. The presidents, the commissioners who make this decision, they don't really want the CFP or the top of college football to break away from the NCAA. They want to stick with what it is. And I think that's what you're getting when you hire a lieutenant general to run your playoff. You're, you're not saying we're going to step forward on, on uh, player compensation rules, governance, all these things like that's You don't hire a general to do that for college sports. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic to track. And there's also going to be... Say, actually, I will, I will say, I want to jump in. There was one interesting comment from Clark that I forgot to get to. And that was about what we just talked about, the group of five. Again, he played at Air Force, he led Air Force, and he was asked about that. And he said, quote, what it gives a team is hope. It gives you the opportunity for you, your fans, the rest of your student population to be involved in college football at the highest levels. I always have the saying, if I got a shot, I've got a shot. I'll take every opportunity to move in that position. And so he's basically saying it's vitally important that everybody has a shot at the playoff. So the new executive director wants to make sure the group of five still has a, a spot in the playoff, which based on what I heard from a lot of group of five fans was good to hear. Yeah, so that, that is that is definitely encouraging. There's also going to be a long transition period. Uh, Bill Hancock's going to continue to advise him. They wanted to make this hire so he could shadow Bill during the CFP and and when these events are getting put on. But this is going to be a long transition. And he said he needed to learn quite a lot about the job and, and about this role and, and what he's going to do in it. Um, so that'll that'll do it for our open bar segment. Again, a reminder. And every Monday, Tuesday, there is a prompt on The Athletic. Call for questions. Please submit. We will pick our favorites each week and answer them 
on our show. But let's move over into our happy hour segment. This one's pretty self-explanatory. We talk about something that is bringing us joy or bringing lots of people joy. And we hit on this a little bit when we were talking about the CFP rankings because Georgia is now the number one team in the country. But man, the dogs look good. They look like the best team in the country. They look like they are firing on all cylinders offensively. Obviously, you never wanted to see Brock Bowers get hurt, but they figured out some other weapons and some other ways to win games. Carson Beck looks really comfortable. Lad McConkey is such a weapon. And now you have a pairing in a healthier Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey both back at the same time. And now you're seeing the kind of dominance that I think we expected really from week one from the Bulldogs. Georgia sure looks good. Sure looks like they've got a chance to win three of these in a row, three national championships in a row. You've got people talking about Carson Beck potentially being QB three in the draft, although indications wow. so far seem to be that he's probably going to stay in school. You've got Lad McConkey, potential first round pick, second round pick at wide receiver. And you bring back Brock Bowers, who might be the best or second best pass catcher in the entire country uh, to go with the defense that shut down Ole Miss. And yeah, this looks like the complete team. Ari and, and Ubbin had a really long conversation over the weekend. Uh, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State to the field. I think they both, you could take Ohio State out. It feels like Georgia, Alabama, like if I had to pick who's most likely to win the national championship, as, as they did, Georgia's clear number one. Like Alabama might be like two or three just based on how they're playing. That SEC championship game is going to be gigantic. Uh, yep. But yeah, Georgia's back, no doubt at number one. They're going to stay there. Uh, unless they lose the rest of the way. And this is the team rounding into form. You know, there was a weird game against Auburn early. They don't really pull away from Missouri the last couple of years. But when they're on, you see what they did to Kentucky, to Florida, to Ole Miss. There is nobody in the country that can stand up to Georgia when they are completely on their game. And, yeah, and as, that has I, been made clear. And and as I mentioned earlier, I think Ohio State is also rounding into form offensively. That's been a question. Yeah. I'm st- I still have questions about Kyle McCord. Uh, same, but like an explosive Travion Henderson really does open up a lot more for them. And it's so gonna be playing, interesting. So is playing the Michigan State defense. That opens up a lot too. All right. Well, we'll continue to see them. And they've got a big <laughs> game against Michigan coming in a couple weeks. We will get into the Michigan situation and the hearing later this week. In yes. our on the rock segment, because we're basically just that's basically just the Mich- Michigan segment every week now, because there's always something still going on there um, with that scandal unfolding and the fallout continues. Um, other happy things. Uh, we are getting some clarity in a Heisman race, but also it feels very open still. I don't know that we necessarily would have thought that midway through November, but our Heisman poll, our Heisman straw poll over at The Athletic, it, it's you know, we we go week to week. We kind of, you know, bounce around a little bit after incredible individual performances. It's really starting to coalesce. Only five players got votes this season, and one of them was just one third place vote. So you've got Michael Penix Jr., Jaden Daniels, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Bo Nix basically got every, every vote but one third place vote from our athletic staff. And it does feel like those are the four dudes. Like those could be the four that go to New York. And those are the four that really seem to be head and shoulders above everyone else. Jordan Travis will have potentially a top 10 showdown in an ACC championship game ahead, but just not going to have the stage like some of these other players down the stretch. Every time I watch Marvin Harrison Jr., 
I come away thinking it's the best player in college football. I know he may not win it because it tends to be a quarterback and Penix's numbers and Nix's numbers. Like they're insane. Jaden Daniels, the 300, 200 game. He's just spectacular. But I still, I still think Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player in college football. But I love that there are so many of them. They're all getting their due. And there was like one moment on Saturday night where they were all playing and it was awesome just to flip back and forth between all the games and watch these all these incredible individual performances. Yeah. And so like, well, by, by the way, Ubbin still thinks no chance Marvin Harrison wins. He, he was saying zero percent. We were getting into it. On I don't Twitter. think it's it, zero. I, don't I think, think this, I think this week he up to, to like seven percent like. He can win it. If he goes out and has 200 yards against Michigan. Dude, 20 million it, people are going to watch that game. Yeah. <laughs> like it, right it, before the all, deadline all, this to is vote. The, the ch- it's going to be the reason I don't think Jane Daniels is going to win it because he's, he's because he's not going to have that big stage left. But mm-hmm. you're going to have uh, a Pac-12 championship game potentially with Washington, Michigan-Ohio State game, uh, Oregon-Oregon State game, Oregon potentially in the Pac-12 championship game. On these big stages is where the Heisman Trophy is going to be won. That's how it always happens, usually. Uh, and you've got these these moments. If Marvin Harrison goes for 15 catches, 200 yards, three touchdowns, and Ohio State beats Michigan, like, yeah, he's going to have a very, yep. very good chance to win it. Like, that, yep. it's not about the num. It's not really about the numbers. And I know Ubbin keeps saying, well, he's not putting up eye-popping numbers. But, but a receiver... Voters are going to see him. A receiver is never going to put up comparable numbers when you look at a quarterback stat line, like with the way that quarterbacks right. play now. So it's it's moments, it's lasting moments, it's impact in the games that matter. And like you have to think about when you vote. So you vote right after conference championship weekend. So the teams that play that weekend have an advantage. And yep. 20 million, I bet the number is like 20 million. I think like the, the level... Of scrutiny and attention. I don't know. I mean, especially, I don't know if it's higher or lower if Jim Harbaugh is there on the sideline or not, but like. It's probably more if he's not, I think. Maybe. maybe, I I mean, I don't know. know. Like, right. You could kind of talk yourself either way, but like that will be a lasting moment. So much will be on the line in that game. So, yeah. So I think he's definitely in the mix. I hope he gets to New York, but I love that it's pretty open right now. And there are a lot of big games left for a lot of these contenders chris last topic for happy hour real, 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 real quick okay. real quick speaking of that jj mccarthy he's still up there in the in on the vegas odds even though he threw eight passes against penn state i don't think do you think he has any chance if he goes out and throws for 300 yards against ohio state sure. or something yeah. and wins he's the game, got do a you chance think th- he would have a chance then yes but i don't think that that is how they are going to win that game and i also don't think that if you are comparing him to the other quarterbacks of title contenders, the number, the stat line's not going to match up, but also like, that's not their style of play. I, you know, he didn't get any votes from the athletic staff poll. Right. So like, I think that we are an educated group of college football watchers. And I think that um, we should take that as a guiding light, but yes, there is still big games ahead for Michigan. So you can't write JJ McCarthy off. But there are a lot of contenders. If there was like a gap, if, if people like if early contenders were falling off and there really wasn't anyone and there was kind of this vacuum, I would give him a better chance. But he yes, he's still around. And Cam just gave us the 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 odds. He's plus ten thousand on BetMGM. Yeah, it, it, it dropped big after the Penn State game. Yeah, I mean he didn't I, I, he didn't throw the ball tough. after midpoint of the second quarter. So yeah, yeah, I I don't think we need to continue to have that conversation unless he puts Maybe. up monster numbers against Ohio State. Uh, Before we get on to our Michigan conversation, 
really happy, happy hour topic. Chris, the civil conflict trophy. You found it. Well, you think you found it. You found a version of it. I, I found one of them. Uh, I, I found Who it in the summer. knew that there might be more than one, which also is just a joy to find out. Yeah, a story I'd been working on since the summer, trying to track it down and figure out the full story of it. U- UCF has the Civil Conflict Trophy. They've had it since like early 2021. Popped up randomly on a Twitter account one day after not being seen for years, and eventually UCF got it. Read my story in The Athletic for the full backstory on it. UConn fans think it's not real because it looks a little bit different in some key areas. And they're right. It's not the same. UCF does not know for sure if this is the real trophy. But the question everybody I talked to asked, including the athletic director at UConn, was who would make a fake trophy? For those who don't know, Civil Conflict Trophy, 2015, I think it was, Bob Diaco, head coach at UConn, says, we want to make a rivalry with UCF. Let's call it the Civil Conflict. UCF's like, what are you talking about? Then he comes up with a trophy that he paid for himself called the Civil Conflict Trophy. And UCF's like, we want nothing to do with this. And Bob Diaco's like, I don't care. You're our rival. And they win it the first year. And it's it's great. The next year, UCF wins. They don't take the trophy. It sits out there in the rain in Connecticut. And it's not seen again for years. I could not. Nobody I talked to could figure out what happened to it afterward. Bob Diaco, I reached out to. Didn't want to talk about it, but he did tell Barstool Sports in 2021 he didn't know where it was. Uh, so that it, it, the theory is that the one that showed up a couple years later had gotten water damaged, being left out in the rain, eventually made its way to UCF. Had a lot of fun in the story. Um, and I think the mystery is what makes it fun. That's what makes it look. Bob Diaco was right. We still talk about that game. We still talk about that trophy. He was a, he was a man ahead of his time on a number of things. He came up with the Nickelodeon games that the NFL now does. Bob Diaco came up with the idea for that. So uh, shout out civil conflict trophy. Had a lot of fun writing that. It was a great story. Go read it over at the athletic. If you're looking for something a little bit offbeat, uh, we're also doing just a really cool mystery story, uh, mystery series. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of good, cool stories uh, on the athletic over the last couple of weeks. Let's move on to on the rocks. There is friction somewhere in the sport, and lately it's all been in Ann Arbor. There is a hearing on Friday morning scheduled in Washtenaw County. Uh, we're still looking for a little more clarity on exactly what it is, but um, you know we were talking with our pal Catherine B. And Austin Meek has been going over to the courthouse back and forth. And it looks like this hearing is still uh, listed as a temporary restraining order hearing, but a little bit less of an emergency basis because it's been a week since uh, this was asked for. But ultimately, we'll just say it's a hearing. Michigan is fighting the Big Ten's suspension of Jim Harbaugh. Uh, We don't know what this thing is going to entail, if he's going to speak or not, but his position will be heard. Jim Harbaugh spoke in a very entertaining press conference on Monday about all of this. He talked about uh, raising chickens. I really enjoyed that part. He about from them going from a chick to a teenage chick to an egg layer adult chicken and how much joy they bring him. But he also called Michigan America's team because they are fighting through adversity and they have naysayers and they have critics And a lot of people didn't like that because they are considering themselves victims um, and and like that they have a fighting through adversity that they they're that someone in their staff created by breaking an NCAA rule. 
Chris, you and I have not podcasted since all of this went down on Friday, the Big Ten suspension itself, how it was structured. I've been kind of thinking it of a like a, a game day suspension since he is still able to coach and prepare throughout the week. It's the last three regular season games. This was really the entirety of Michigan's season. Are these three games that Jim Harbaugh is not eligible to be on the sideline for? We knew Michigan was threatening court action all along. I think that was pretty telegraphed, and it was clear in the letter and their communications with the Big Ten Conference. But it's coming on Friday. I'm curious what you make of the whole situation and what we've learned from Michigan without Jim Harbaugh on the sideline against Penn State. Well, first thing I wanted to know when when this happened, late Friday going into Saturday, was could Jim Harbaugh do the the classic pro wrestling move of buying a ticket and sitting in the front row at the game. You know, that, that that's what, oh, you've been kicked out, you've been suspended. No, I, I'm a paying customer. I'm allowed to be a writer. It looked like you're not allowed to do it. Our colleague Bruce Feldman said on Big New Kickoff that he asked Penn State Athletic Director Pat Kraft, hey, what if Jim Harbaugh just like shows up? What are you going to do? And Kraft was basically like, well, we're not going to stop him. So, so, I, so he should have tried. Of, <laughs> so he should have tried. tried, I guess. I don't think the cops are going to take him away or anything like that, but it does create a lot of, fun drama. And yeah, so, you know, it, I was surprised uh, they did three games uh, because to do three, you would have to get the joint committee with the Big Ten to approve it, which they did. Um, but the Big Ten was prepared. They sent out all the documentation or a lot of the documentation that they have in explaining this. They were ready for the lawyerly fight uh, that will come and look, they were like, look, we got a master spreadsheet that's got the details of the games and the money and where to go and where not to go. This is pretty clearly something that was going on in, in Michigan, in its defense, didn't exactly even like dispute the facts. It was just about the process and whether or not the Big Ten has to do this. That's why the, that's what this restraining order injunction, whatever it's about the process and whether or yes. not the Big, Big Ten is allowed to do that. And so that's why I wrote a couple of lyrics for Injunction Junction, playing off of the classic Schoolhouse Rock theme, Conjunction Junction. And hopefully this will help explain what an injunction is and what they're trying to get. This this, this goes for the, the Pac-12 situation. This goes for Jim Harbaugh. Nicole, are you ready for this? I can't control my facial reactions as okay. I listen to this. By the I way, it I'm doesn't ready. rhyme, but just, just go with it. Okay. Injunction Junction, what's your function? Keeping apart conferences and schools for a period of time. Injunction Junction, what's your function to pause the landscape until a trial can take place? What do you Why think? didn't you try to rhyme this? Because I didn't have enough time before we started recording. <laughs> and it's I it, it also conjunction junction doesn't rhyme. I listened to it. So there's that too. Anyway, I hope that helps everybody understand what exactly the purpose of these court fights are and what it's doing. It's to, it's to, to just either pause everything, either he's suspended and that keeps going or he's not suspended and we pause until we get to a trial. That's what the injunction is. Well, uh, we'll have more Schoolhouse Rock uh, parodies in future episodes. Classic. I'm sure it is a classic. Schoolhouse Rock was awesome. I bet Jim so Harbaugh loves Schoolhouse Rock. Isn't that all how we learned how a bill became a law? I mean, come on. it's it's He definitely does. I mean, he was... Referencing watching Judge Judy and other movies to prepare for going to court on Friday. Like, it's probably all over it. What's going to be really interesting, uh, not to go too, too far in the weeds, but really, as you mentioned, Michigan is fighting that the process wasn't followed. 
And that will be their legal argument that, you know, this was an NCAA rule. There is a process for that. And this has never happened before. This conference getting involved to punish someone who, by the way, was not directly connected to Connor Stallion's scheme. They specifically said yep. that they did not have evidence connecting Jim Harbaugh, knowing that anything about it, but that they were essentially punishing him like as an emblem of the program as a way not to punish the players. But the process, the fact that there is a process for an NCAA violation and that process was not followed. That's what Michigan's arguing about and about essentially like overreaching the policy, the sportsmanship policy that the Big Ten is enacting punishment under. And then, you know, the Big Ten is again making the argument or or the court will be looking at Michigan saying like you are a voluntary member you are voluntarily a member of the Big 10 conference you accept rules and policies and decisions that they make and you know when someone criticizes officiating or does something else that gets punished by the sportsmanship policy people accept it because you're a voluntary member of the organization so like in a nutshell, I don't mean to oversimplify too, too much, but like those are the issues at stake in this hearing. And and that's what the Big Ten said uh, in its reply. It said, look, your response didn't dispute the facts. Saying somebody else is cheating and sharing your signals does not absolve you from what we think you did. Essentially, that was the Big Ten's uh, explanation of what, what happened. I, I do think it's I don't know, funny or ironic or whatever that that the big that Michigan, which is currently fighting tooth and nail with the NCAA over Jim Harbaugh's alleged recruiting violations, is now basically being like, no, Big Ten, you can't do that. Only the only the NCAA in this sacred process is the one that gets to play out, even though you were just fighting that NCAA process a few months ago. So it's um a lot going on, a lot of scandals and investigations involving Michigan. We still don't know how this whole thing started, by the way, yeah. with the investigative firm. There, there yeah. is a lot we still don't know, but man, this has been dramatic. Uh, that hearing on Friday is going to be fascinating. Jim Harbaugh said he's not sure yet if he'll be there because the team travels on Friday going to Maryland. Uh, so get your popcorn ready, I guess. I don't think it's televised or at all, but uh, I wish I it was. They should, they, look, you, you work at Big Ten Network. Can you tell them to broadcast it or something? Yeah, I, w- I would love to. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Pac-12 hearing this week was readily accessible over Zoom. I don't know that this one will be, but uh, I'm sure Austin Meek will be there for us at The Athletic, and uh, we'll have plenty of stories to share from that. So there will be lots of coverage on The Athletic and on the Until Saturday podcast feed of everything that happens on Friday. Michigan is set to play Maryland on Saturday and then, of course, Ohio State a week later. So Michigan's trying to get Jim Harbaugh back on the sidelines. That is it for On the Rocks. There were coaching changes made. This this feed has covered a lot of them. There's still a lot of circumstances at schools that we are watching that could open. We will dive into all of that next week. There's just too much going on this week, and we wanted to make sure that we devoted enough time and energy to Michigan. So let's wrap up the show with our last call, as we always do. Cheers or jeers, a rant or a rave, whatever we might want to talk about as we get our last drinks. Cheers them as the bar is closing. Chris, I will let you go first. The floor is yours for the last call. My cheers is for New Mexico State football and Jerry Kill. They are eight and three. They've clinched a spot in the Conference USA Championship game in their first season in the conference. They will be going up against Liberty, which is currently 10-0. This is the first time since the 
1960s that New Mexico State will be going to back-to-back bowl games. It's already their most wins in a season since 1965. I think it's already their second most of all time. Jerry Kill is doing an incredible job there. This is his second season on the staff, and he has already turned this bottom feeder program, this doormat program, into one of the best in Conference USA. So shout out to New Mexico State, which, although, by the way, is playing Auburn this week. And Auburn is coached by Hugh Freeze. And if we remember a year ago, New Mexico State uh, beat Liberty 49 to 14 out of nowhere when Hugh Freeze was the coach and seemingly about to accept another job. So Jerry Kill and Hugh Freeze uh, meeting up again probably won't have that same type of result, but you never know. The fight naggies of New Mexico State football having a great season. Shout out to them. My cheers goes to... One of the more entertaining parts of the coaching carousel to me is when coaches get asked about being linked to different jobs. Usually you get like a a denial or something that's super vague because they don't want to get in trouble if they eventually do take another job. But we've gotten some really insightful and interesting answers this week. Dan Lanning's answer when asked about Texas A&M was fascinating. I like that guy a lot. Like he's incredibly likable. And his answer about being approached or being connected to jobs because people want what he's building at Oregon and like just the way he answered that and about like his life and everything that he about. Like, I just thought it was a really interesting answer. It was really strong. Um, and I just again, you never say never. Like people have said there's no chance they're taking a job and they go anyway. But I just thought it was super insightful. And then one of my favorite graphics that we have ever gotten of a coach who has been asked about another job is Deion Sanders. Coach Prime tweets out, I'm going to read it because it's 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 part of the effect, but he posts a photo and the only caption that, that CU Buffs post is, we here. So then this is the quote that's credited to Coach Prime. I am here. I am here. My mother is here. My sister is here. My dog is here. My daughter is here. Three of my sons are here. And my other daughter comes out for the home games. I get mail here. I pay taxes here. I'm here. Incredible. One of my main takeaways learning about filing taxes in the state of Colorado. Also makes me think the dog might be the highest ranked child at the moment, considering the order of who was mentioned where. For people who don't know, Deion Sanders ranks his kids. And it appears the dog is now ahead of the daughter. The daughter and all of the sons and his other daughter. It was just an incredible, incredible moment. I I think these, it's just so funny to me and so interesting when the way that different coaches respond <laughs> to this type of speculation. I've never seen a graphic like this. It is, it, it's the most incredible, not a denial we've ever seen. Yeah, this he's is just, not a denial. <laughs> he's just saying facts like yeah. that are not relevant to anything. It's very completely different than what totally. Dan Lanning said. Uh, also, uh, did you want to mention what uh, how, how Debo Sweeney addressed the question? He says, quote, man, I'm just focused on this job. Always have been trying to find a way to beat North Carolina. That's it. Must be November. That's all I can say. That is also not a denial. Not that a is not a denial. The thing Tyler, is, Tyler from Spartanburg is not grateful enough about what Dabo has done at Clemson. Clearly, and, clearly. yeah, and Dabo, Dabo feels that, that, it. That's not a quote that makes me want to buy that Clemson stock, though. I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, but he told you to, told yeah. you to. But I see, like the like these three examples are really interesting to me. Like I think they they tell us 
about how these coaches are feeling and how they see things. And like they're this is why this is one aspect of silly season that I actually like, because I do think when people answer these things honestly or or give us a glimpse of their true feelings on something, it is fascinating and it doesn't always happen. But Texas A&M and this massive opening is creating an opening for these conversations it, and it's entertaining. Is it insider trading if Dabo T- Sweeney tells you to take to buy the Clemson stock if he's and then leaves. He's leaving or something? Yeah, I don't know. I think um, the SEC, I think the other SEC needs to maybe look into that. Whenever like the real SEC does stuff, and then I see it like on Twitter or in an article, it always takes me like ten seconds to realize we're not talking about Greg Sankey's. I, I, I make the joke every time. <laughs> it's funny every time. So good, so good. Uh, on that note, you know, hopefully uh, the government is not getting involved in anything that we're doing. Um, we've already we're had enough involved of in plenty of college football. Otherwise, college so. sports and courts week continues onward. Hopefully we help set you guys up for what's going to happen in Washtenaw County on Friday. We will continue to cover all of the developments everywhere as we always do here on power hour. We wanted to thank you all for listening and the, for those who joined us at our live CFP reaction show, we'll be live on YouTube after the CFP rankings. Uh, next Tuesday night as well. That'll be back at the normal time. No basketball. So we will see you there. In the meantime, be sure that you're following the Until Saturday podcast feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll be notified when new episodes are up. We always appreciate five-star ratings, reviews. Hit the subscribe button on our YouTube channel. You can join us every Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesdays for our live streams. Subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter if you prefer to read your college football news But for Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Power Hour, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. 